There you go. Um, yeah, it's so great to be here. Thank you. And for the privilege, Pastor Sam, thanks so much for the honor of being able to speak to you tonight. Um, I wanted to say, first of all, wow, what a wonderful, wonderful worship experience. Do you all appreciate this? It's, it's incredible uh, the kind of experience that you have here in this great team. I honor you and all the work that you put in. Especially this dude back here on the keyboard. It's like, you know what? I've read in the Bible, there's all kinds of expressions of worship. There's dancing, you got that, you know, and there's lifting the hands and there's a shout, all those things. But this dude goes to a whole different level. I've not found it in the Bible yet, but it's the head banging, the head banging anointing. It's like, that must be some spiritual warfare or something, right? Right? Awesome. I love it. I love it. Thank you all so much. And, um, and then, uh, hallelujah. I feel the presence of God here just settling on this place right now. Lord God, I just pray in Jesus' name, let your presence just fall upon this place like a blanket. God, not just here, but God, in those who are live streaming. God, I speak in to, to into those places right now in Jesus' name. And I speak in the name of Christ. Let the anointing of the Holy Ghost be as present there as it is here. That there's no time and there's no distance. Lord God, that you are with us. Father, speak to us tonight. Awaken in us tonight a new fire for the supernatural. A new fire, God, for moving in power. In the name of Jesus, we give you glory. Speak through me, I pray. We give you glory in Jesus' name. And everybody shout a big amen. amen. You can be seated. You know, the Lord spoke to me, a pastor for many, many years, and then the Lord spoke to me that I was coming into a new season of my ministry, which was actually going to be the last season. In other words, in other words, from there on out, the rest of my life. And he spoke to me several things uh, about that. And one was this. It was very clear, very strong. The Lord led me to Psalm 71, and he said, Rick, this prayer of David is, um, is to mark part of the mission that I've given you. Uh, to the body of Christ wherever you go. And here's what it says. David said, Lord, when I was young, you taught me. And even now I declare your marvelous deeds. But when I'm old and gray, do not forsake me till I declare your power to the next generation. And that is, God marked me with that. And so I have a passion wherever I go uh, to, among all the other things I would do, to try to help people uh, understand that spirit-filled Christianity, full of power, full of gifts of the spirit, full of healing and deliverance, the, the whole ball of wax is normal Christianity. Are you with me now? I'm going to read to you. I'd like to read to you uh, the Great Commission. And in Mark 16, 15... It says, and he said to them, Jesus said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. But he who does not believe will be condemned. 
and these signs will follow those who believe in my name. It goes on to list the things. I won't take time to list those things, but you know, this is the great commission and all of the church identifies with this commission. I mean, all of the evangelical church in the world and they say, this is what drives us, what, what motivates us. It's what gives us our rudder uh, for our conducting church and carrying out uh, the ministry of the kingdom. That being the case, it's important to see that in this great commission, what it, what it says is I always break, I like to break it down into three uh, simple segments. That there, in this great commission, there are three segments. And one is, is what I call apostolic mission. The second one is transformative gospel. And the third one is Pentecostal power. What I mean by that is this, it starts out go into all the world. That go, the word go, means the church exists for apostolic mission. Apostolic means just simply means to be sent, to sin and to be sent. That's why we exist. It's the only reason we exist, to raise up people, send them, and then to be sent. And so there is a go uh, to the Christian life. You know, you know, that's why the whole idea of, of someone getting saved you know, joining a church and then just sitting in a chair every Sunday and never being developed and using what God's put in you is a total contradiction in terms. You know, being a Christian is one who has a go in your spirit. Are you with me now? A lot of Christians I know are, you know, they, um, they're waiting for a word. God, give me a word to go. They'll come to me and say, Pastor, how can I know? You know, what the Lord wants me to go, whatever. And I just said, look, you don't need a word uh, to go. You need a word to stay. And if you don't get a word to stay, go. Now, that means go wherever you are. Go to your job. Go to your community. Go to this city. Wherever you are, help this church fulfill the mission of reaching this city, the nation, and the world. But just go. Ha! Hallelujah. I like that. And uh, I've always said, if you're, if you're going to be a bear, you, you, ought to, you need to be a grizzly. And what that means, if you're going to be a Christian, just be one that does all the stuff. And not one that just sits. So it's an apostolic. We exist for apostolic mission. Secondly, uh, we preach a transformative gospel. And I don't want to belabor this, but you obviously see that manifested here. That, that what, what we mean is as opposed to a lot of churches... There'd be more nominal churches that are not even just nominal, but a lot of other churches, period, who are preaching kind of like a self-help or self-improvement message to make your life better, to help give you your best life now. Um, you know, that's not what the gospel is. The gospel is, is we preach a transformative gospel, which means God doesn't just help you to get better, but he totally changes your life, eradicates all of the junk and the mess in your life and empowers you with a new grace and a fire to go out and do something to touch the world around you. It's transformative. Number three, I say, first, we exist for apostolic mission. We preach a transformative gospel and... We exercise Pentecostal power. And I, I call it, you could call it other things, but I say Pentecostal power because it originated on the day of Pentecost. And I, I say that because this is the mission that drives us. But notice that you cannot fulfill this mission without exercising Pentecostal power. Without exercising the power, the supernatural works of God in and through your life. 
that you are, we're not carrying out what is authentic Christianity. You know, one thing that irritates me and, you know, is, is that if you look at the whole church world, you know, you, they, a lot of times in the church world, they take these Pentecostals or spirit-filled uh, Christians with the, who believe in baptism of the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues, all of those things, and they label them as kind of a fringe part of the body of Christ. You know, and to, to drive that nail in, they, they call all of these denominations like Methodists, Presbyterians, Lutherans, Episcopalians, all that, they call them mainline uh, historical denominations, which, which means they, they want you to view those as, as the mainstream of the church. That's the, what the church is to be like. And it's historical, meaning if you want to go back and see what the original church is, that's what it is. But let me tell you something that's interesting. All of those denominations and many more that they call mainline historical denominations, none of them are over several hundred years old. All of them have been developed in the last two or three hundred years. Let me tell you what mainline historical Christianity is. Hallelujah. About 2,000 years ago, 50 days after Jesus rose from the grave, he sent back the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost and there were shafts of fire, roaring wind, speaking in tongues, people drunk, overflowing with the Holy Spirit, prophecy, dreams, visions, the whole ball of wax. That's the way the church began. Are you with me? You know, in the Bible, you understand the little law of, they call it the law of first mention, which if you want to interpret the Bible correctly, when you see something like this in the Bible, like Pentecost, when you see the church first, in its first setting, that's not just an event or an experience, it's a pattern for the rest of the church. That's the law of first mention. And whenever... Think about it. When Jesus began his church, he could have started it any way he wanted to. He could have said, I know what I'll do. I'm going to start the church with a teaching seminar. We're going to have a big teaching seminar. He could say, I was going to start the church with a big worship concert. He could have started many ways. He said, let's start the church with a big uh, dinner where everybody sits down together. No, when he started the church, he says, here's how we're going to do it. The first thing we're going to do is we are going to so baptize them with the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit that they are going to be radically changed to where they're not the same person anymore, but where they are going unafraid, carrying this gospel to the world around them. That is mainline historical. I just had to kind of get that out of my, you know, right now. So I say that because one of my passions is this is that even many people who exist in a, a spirit-filled church like this, uh, you know, many times, you know, you'll find people in the congregation who are, I love that church and they believe in it, but yet when they go out into their own world, uh, they never give any kind of impression that they are a part of a crazy church like this. A spirit-filled church. You know, they're timid about it. They're backward, like something's wrong. But I want to tell you something, folks. Listen, 
Spirit-filled Christianity, moving in the power of God, laying hands on the sick and seeing them healed, setting people free of demonic oppressions and, and, and powers. You know, all of these things, moving in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. All of this is normal Christianity. Don't ever be ashamed of it. Don't ever be timid about it. Are you listening to me now? Hallelujah. It is a fact, a historical fact, that all down through history, that most of the church growth, most of the advancement of the, of the church in the world, all down through history, has been through spirit-filled believers. It's been through people who are baptized in the Holy Spirit. Are y'all with me now? You once, one um, statistic I like to quote that proves that is that, you know, there was a study done in, in 1970, there were 1.2 billion Christians in the world. And then 44 years later in 2014, three years ago. So 1.2 billion in 1970. In 2014, there were 2.6 billion. The church more than doubled in those 44 years. But what's amazing to me in that same time, in 1970, there were 63 million radically saved, spirit-filled, tongue-talking believers. 63 million in 1970. In, in 2014, 44 years later, there are 710 million. 710 million. What that tells you is the, the majority of the growth and the advancement of the kingdom of God in the earth is happening through spirit-filled believers. You are the ones who are going to rock the world. You are the ones. And when I say you, I'm not just speaking about this church corporately, although that is so. I'm speaking about you personally. And that's my burden tonight. So here we go. What I want to do tonight is I want to take you on a little journey. And this journey is my story. It's what I call my journey into Pentecost or into moving in the power of God. In my life, there's been, I've been blessed in so many ways, but one of the things I'm so, things I'm so grateful for, I, I, I'm so thankful for, is God early on taught me some lessons about about what was inside of me and how to release what was in me as a normal everyday Christian that radically changed my life to where that I down through the years now have seen so many miracles down through the years, incredible miracles that you, we would not have the time if I was to stand here over the next several hours to tell them all to you. And give you an example of one, this was not through me, but one thing that stuck with me when I was a little kid is I was in our church, which was a spirit-filled church, an evangelist came to our church and this guy had had an accident in previous years and his eye was destroyed, his left eye. And back in those days, years ago, I was probably eight, seven, eight years old. And so they put, they made this fake eye that was real crude looking and they put it in there so he wouldn't have to have an empty socket. And so anyway, he goes along several years and he's in a, an anointed service where they were praying for the sick and hands were laid upon him. And when hands were laid upon him, he received a miracle and all of a sudden he could see out of that 
fake eye. And what's crazy is at the end of his message, he would call someone up every night in the crowd that he didn't know, and he would ask them to bandage up his right eye. He said, so good, so you know I can't see out of it. And then he would ask them for different documents that they had, you know, driver's license, things like that. And he would proceed to read those documents through that fake eye. And then for a fact, and this is kind of crude, but he would then take and take his finger and get behind that eyeball and he would pop it out. And he would hold the eyeball in his hand. With this hand, he would hold the empty, empty socket open and he would proceed to read the documents through that empty eye socket. Now, if you ever see something like that happen, you'll be talking about it 60 years later also. It radically impacted me. Those things were important because our church had a, had a, was moving powerfully in, in the, the spirit. Incredible miracles taking place. I saw this as a kid. But then the time I had grown up to be a teenager, we lost what we had. Long story, but anyway, simply, I don't know why it happened, but it was all gone. That anointing was gone. The presence of God was gone. By the way, let me just say to you at this point, folks, listen to me. Always treasure, treasure with your life, the very presence of God that's in your midst. Because let me tell you something, God can take it away. When David sinned, one of the first things he said is, God, please just don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Always treasure that. But we lost it. And so for the last number of years growing up, the time I left to go to university, I had a bitter taste in my mouth about spirit-filled Christianity. I'd forgotten the things of my youth and all this emotionalism and this fake stuff and crazy stuff. I didn't want to have anything to do with it. But then God began to speak to me, and here's my journey, listen to this. Because what happened, I began to realize that all of my experience with the move of God, the power of God, the supernatural works of God, was sitting in a church, seeing it happen corporately, or being there when someone else was praying for someone and then seeing a miracle taking place. But I had never personalized it and to the point where I would see, I ever never saw God do anything through me. Nothing. And there's some of you like that here tonight, right in the place I was, where you're part of a spirit-filled community of believers, but yet you haven't moved in the power of God. And my passion tonight is to see you rise up the littlest and the least among you and realize what you've got on the inside of you. And so that's where I was. I never personalized it. So God began to speak to me and he spoke several things. I'm going to tell you these quickly. With each lesson God gave me, he gave me a revelation. And then after that, he gave me an experience to confirm the revelation. And it's kind of like Jesus. Every time Jesus would teach the disciples a lesson, he'd say, get in the boat. And they'd have to go out and get into a storm. And Jesus had have to deliver them. Here's where it started. Listen to this. I was reading one day, reading a book, and out of the whole book, this one scripture jumped out at me. And revelations are funny things because when you get them, you can't quite explain how you got it or what it felt like. But revelations have a tendency to change you. And I read this book, I read this, this verse, and when I did, 
it just exploded in me. I knew immediately something was happening to me and God was changing my life. And here's what it was. It was the simple verse in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. And it says this, I, I was crucified with Christ. But yet, yet it, what does it say? I have crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Well, I read that and instantly I heard the Lord speak to me. And he said, Rick, he said, read that first phrase again. So I went back and I just read, I have been crucified through, I, I have been crucified with Christ. The Lord said to me, he said, Rick, always know, remember this, you are dead. I thought, what? He said, you're not living dead. When I grew up, all the years growing up, I never was talented or gifted in anything. I was a little fat kid that never was good at sports and I felt insecure. People around me said that I would never amount to anything. My teachers called my parents in for a counsel and told them you need to get Rick some uh, training with his hands because he'll never succeed with his brain. And, and I heard other people around me say, oh, that Rick, he'll never amount to anything. And that's the way I felt about myself. And the Lord spoke to me, he said, Rick, the, the old Rick is dead. That Rick is, that is limited, that, that, that is not talented, not gifted, has no power, no wisdom, it's not smart. He'll never mount anything. He said, Rick, that Rick is dead. He said, when I went to the cross, I didn't just take your sins to the cross. I carried you with me to the cross and I nailed you there. And the old Rick Shelton is dead. It's like he said, you get that? Yeah, God, I got it. I'm dead. Where do we go from here? He said, read the next phrase. The next phrase says this. He says, and the life no, he says, and it is no longer I who live. It is no longer I who live. He said, Rick, he says, you're alive. He said, you died, but you're alive. I said, okay, I'm dead, but I'm alive. He said, but it's not you living. Now just think of this. If we were just talking to somebody on the street and they started talking like this and irrelevant to the Bible, not related to the Bible, and, you, and they start telling you, hey, I'm dead. <laughs> but you know what? I'm alive. But you know what? It's not me. The new one, the live, this, somebody else is living in me now. You would think they're crazy. And that way you're thinking right now about that person. That's exactly the way I was thinking when God spoke this to me. I thought, this is the craziest, wildest thing I ever heard. The old Rick is dead. There's a new Rick, but it's not you, Rick. I said, what is it? He said, read the next phrase. He said, but Christ lives in me. He said, Rick, the old Rick is dead. There's a new Rick alive, but it's not you any longer, but it's Christ living inside of you. So from this point forward, Rick, I'm requiring you. He said, not, don't ever live any longer out of the, out of the limited resources of your own ability, your own personality, your own strength. He says, I'm requiring you to live out of the resources of Christ the wisdom, the power, the ability, the grace, the knowledge, the, the power of Christ. He said, just as you have all these different gifts or lack thereof, he says, Christ is full of his gifts, his attributes. 
And he said, from now on, I want you to move every step of the way when, when you preach, when you pray, when you do whatever, minister to people. He said, always step back and don't do it out of Rick Shelton, but let the Holy Spirit step forward and let the resources of Christ move through you. Wow. This was revolutionary for me because I always looked at my relationship with God in relation to the corporate church. You know, and but not that God would use me in the ways that I even saw him lead these great leaders on the platform. And then God me took to me to another verse in Luke 17. In Luke 17, 20, 21, he says, Now when he was asked by the Pharisees, when the time when the kingdom of God would come, he answered and said to them, The kingdom of God has not come with observation, nor will they say, See here or see there, for indeed the kingdom of God is within you. The Lord spoke this to me. He said, no, Rick, all right, get this. You got the first part, but now get this part. He said, listen, the kingdom of God, when they say it's over here, it's in this city or that city or this church or that church, he said, don't listen to him. He says, for you know where the kingdom is? He said, the kingdom is on the inside of you. And I, and I got that. I said, okay, Lord, okay. I didn't get it. But he told me, he says, go back and look what that word means in the Greek. And I look, it's the Greek word basilia. That's where we get the word basilica from. And the word basilia means the place from which a king carries out his rule and reign. And the Lord spoke to him. He said, Rick, he said, you know, how I said that the old Rick's dead, new Rick's alive, but it's Christ living in you and you have to live out of the resources of Christ. He said, that's because he said the very place from which I carry out my rule and reign is on the inside of you. You are a walking, talking temple of God filled with all of the power and the resources of heaven. Wow. That rocked my world. And after that, I started venturing out for the very first time to lay hands on people. Can I tell you this? Listen, you'll never see anything happen until, as far as God using you in the supernatural, until you're willing to step out and Join hands with somebody. Lay your hand on the shoulder and believe God for a miracle or for change or for deliverance from their oppression. And so anyway, I decided I was going to do that. And I was in ministry, a young kid. I mean, I was only 21 at the time. And I was traveling all over the country, preaching in every little church that had 25 or so people in it. And I was going. And so I remember the first night I decided, all right, God says, put it into practice. I called people forward. When I called people forward, it was a small church. So there's about five people for healing. And so I came to the first woman, and I told her a little bit of this this morning, but this woman, I came to her, I said, what's wrong with you? She lifted her head, and she had this growth on the outside of her neck about the size of a golf ball. And she says, I want God to heal me. And I remember thinking, Lord, this is my first one. Couldn't you give me a headache or something like that? Or at least made it a, a growth that's on the inside so I could say, go to the doctor and check it out. It's on the outside. But I said, no. I, I said, okay. And I was practicing this. Step back, Rick. It's not you. There's a new you. But it's Christ living in you. The place from which the king carries out his rule and reign is on the inside of you. All you got to do, Rick, is step back. You're, you're nervous. You're afraid. You're terrified. He said, I'm not. Let me step up. And, the, it's, I let, and so I, I envisioned that. And as I did that, as I envisioned it, I laid my hand on her and spoke to that thing and commanded it to be gone. And, and her to be healed. And so then, but then I quickly moved on to the next person because I didn't want to wait to see what happened. And I, I started praying for the next guy. 
when I start praying for the next guy, within about a minute, all of a sudden this woman starts screaming. Ah! I thought, my God, I've killed my first one. <laughs> and she, and I go over there and I said, man, what's wrong? She said, she lifted her head and there it was all gone. She said, it's gone. It's gone. God completely removed that thing. God, now watch. Now God says to me, he said, see? He said, see? He said, you were afraid. You felt little faith. He says, but I was in you. The resources of Christ are in you. And I went and started laying hands on people. But then I noticed something. And that is as I went on for the next little bit laying hands on people. When I was full of faith on any certain day, or when I felt real spiritual, then it seems like more things would happen. People get healed. Miracles would take place. But if I had a bad prayer day, and so I felt unspiritual. Y'all know, y'all know how, how that works, right? You have a bad prayer day. feels like the heavens are brass. And so you go out the, through the, the day thinking you're not all that much spiritually. And so in those days or when I felt little faith, then nothing happened. So it was up and down. They were sporadic here and there. And God told me, I'm going to show you the next lesson. I said, okay, God, what is it? You ready for this? He said, I'm going to teach you about the open heavens. I said, what do you mean? He said, Rick, you are laboring under an Old Testament open heaven mentality. I said, oh, what do you mean? He said, Israel lived under the cloud. The heavens were opened over Israel. But when they weren't all that, and they were faltering in their faith, then the heavens would close up. When they turned from God, they would close up. So the story of, of the Old Testament Israel and God dealing with them is heaven's open and they're closed. Open heaven, close heaven. Open heaven, close heaven. He said, Rick, you're living and laboring under that mentality because you're going. And when you feel like you have great faith, he said, then you feel the heavens are open. But when you don't have a good prayer day or you don't feel a lot of faith, he said, you feel like the heavens are shut. And he said, listen, he says, but you have to understand, you know, when Jesus came to begin his ministry, he went to be baptized in the Jordan River. When he came out up the river, the Bible says that the heavens opened and it was like as a dove, which was the Holy Spirit descended upon him. The heavens opened over Jesus. That began his ministry and Jesus lived under a personal open heaven for the rest of his ministry. I say personal because no one else was living under that open heaven. But then he died and he was raised from the dead. And 50 days later, all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit blasts a big hole in the heavens. And he pours down upon the people in that upper room in Jerusalem. And he baptizes them with the Holy Spirit. All those things I mentioned earlier, the gifts, the power of God, all of these things, being overwhelmed by the Holy Spirit. And the Lord said to me, he said, on that day, I opened my heaven over the whole body of Christ. And then he said, now remember this. Two years later, Stephen was being stoned to death. And before he dies, he looks up and he says, I see the heavens opened. And the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. The Lord spoke, used that little thing to tell me. He said, Rick, he said, you may not always feel spiritual or like you've got enough faith. 
He says, but listen, he said, the heavens are always open. So don't you measure what you think you can do based upon how you feel spiritually today. The Lord took me to an experience, a crazy experience. And to confirm this thing to me, the Lord, I was in a in Temple, Texas, small town in Texas. Uh, and I was speaking there for about a week. We call it a revival. It wasn't much of a revival, but anyway, uh, and I was preaching my heart out as a young minister. And there was, I got to tell you that, that this was the deadest church I'd ever been to. And I've never been, been to one this dead since. They were so dead. They sat there like a stone. You know, I mean, if someone had a heart attack, the paramedics have to go through every row to find out which one it was that died. <laughs> These people. And so at the end of the message, I would come in to lay hands on them. And it was like handing hands on stone. And I was so discouraged that I, I remember the next day I prepared a message for that night. And I called it, the church is on the birth control pill. I said, I preached that night how that the church wants to make love to Jesus, but they don't want to produce anything. Oh, yeah. Well, that didn't go over very well. And the revival ended early. And I remember I got up the next morning. Now, listen, this is this, this. This changed me because I was in church. I prayed and fasted. I'd done everything. I was ready. My faith was high. The next morning, I just wanted to be carnal. I didn't want to go do something spiritual. I just, I don't mean sinful. I just wanted to be carnal. And I just said, Donald, let's just go out and let's just drive around town. Let's just see the different neighborhoods. And we went to this one neighborhood. We had found our way into a place that was a, we call them a mobile home park. I don't know what you would call them, but we're a bunch of, they're permanent homes, but they bring them in on wheels and set them up, you know. And so that, this whole neighborhood was like that, big neighborhood. And as we passed by, there was a caravan there in the midst of all these. And Don and I had just been talking about wanting to buy a caravan to travel in. And I said, Donna, that's beautiful. I'd like to have one like that. So I'm totally in the carnal realm, totally in the physical, natural realm. And so anyway, I said, I think I'm going to go up to that door and ask them how or where they got this. So I jumped out and walked up, knocked on the door. A woman answers the door. And all I can say is when I saw her, I knew immediately she was writhing in pain. Something serious was wrong. She hadn't been able to fix herself up. Her hair wasn't done, no makeup. And she just, you could see the pain on her face. And so I apologized for bothering her. I said, look, just one question. I asked her the question. She gave me the answer. I said, thank you. I'm sorry for bothering you. And I took off. I went back to my car and my wife was in the car and I told her about this woman. I said, you can't believe this woman. She's in serious pain. And my wife said, well, did you pray for her? And I thought, now listen to me. You got to understand where I was at the time. I thought I'm not in church. And besides, on those meetings every night, I'd been fasting and praying. My faith was high. I was ready. Not now. I'd already decided from the beginning of this day I was going to be a carnal jerk. <laughs> Not now. But I said, you're right. I walked up to the caravan, knocked on the door. She opened the door. I said, excuse me again. I says, but listen, 
I couldn't help but notice you must be in serious pain. And I'm a Christian, and I believe in laying hands on the sick, and we've seen people healed. Could I pray for you? She goes, oh, please, I would love you to pray for me. I said, what's wrong? She says, I have a disease that's been eating away at the bone structure in my face. And she says that to the point toward now, the, you, the bones in my face are actually soft. You could push them in. But so extremely painful. I take 24 morphine pills every day. I've been doing that for two years. And even then, it only barely cuts the pain. I felt so sorry for her, so, such compassion. And so I did what I told you. I said, okay, God, I'm feeling awful unspiritual right now. I'm thinking caravans, Lord, and, 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 and God help me. And so I did it. I, I visualized myself. Rick, step back. The old Rick's dead. You don't have nothing to do with this. The new Rick's alive. All right? The resources of Christ are in you. The kingdom of God, the place in which the king rules and reigns, is on the inside of you. Just reach out your hand and extend the kingdom of God. And I prayed for her, and I, I cursed this disease and, you know, prayed, spoke to it, asked God to heal her. And I just quickly said, bye. She thanked me, and I left. I hadn't planned to go back there, but the next day before we left town, on the way out, I said, Donna, let's just go back there and just check on her. I went back and knocked on the door, and when she opened the door, this woman I saw now was like a totally different woman. Her hair was all fixed. She had her makeup on all beautifully. She had a nice dress on, and most of all, she had a smile from ear to ear. She was bubbly. A completely different I said, what happened? She said, well, after you left, after you left, she said that I started feeling a tingling in my face and it wouldn't go away. This weird sensation. And after about an hour, the pain started subsiding. And within two hours, it was completely gone. And in the next three or four hours, I noticed the tingling continued and the bone structure in my face completely hardened. And she made me take my hand and slap the side of her face. She said, I threw away my morphine pills yesterday and have not taken another one. Yeah! I went back to my car and I said, God, I get it. I was totally unspiritual. I was totally a mess, God. But you did it through me. It has nothing to do with me, but your power on the inside of me. And the heavens are always open, whether you're in church or in the trailer park. Somebody shout hallelujah. hallelujah. The last thing was this. The Lord spoke this to me. He said, Rick, he said, I want to teach you one more lesson. And that is, you ready for this? It sounds crazy when I heard it. He said, I remember that I always provide my own fire. I said, well, what does that mean? And the Lord took me back to Moses when God was calling Moses to, to lead a nation. The, the, the experience that God chose was to set a bush on fire and then have Moses walk by. And what fascinating, he saw burning bushes all the time. It wasn't that. But the bush burned, but it wasn't consumed. The fire burned the bush, but it didn't burn the bush up. I said, okay, Lord, I kind of think I might get it, but I'm not sure. And the Lord said this. He said, you see, remember Moses felt so insecure. He said, God, I don't know if I can do this. I can't talk. I'm not a leader, all this. God, and he said, listen. He said, so I sent a message to Moses. Normally, when a bush burns, 
The reason the fire is burning is because the fire is using the bush for fuel to keep the fire burning. And so it consumes the bush's fuel to keep the fire burning. But God said, my message to Moses was, don't worry about your inabilities and your lack of talent and intelligence or anything else. He says, because listen, when I come upon you, he says, my fire will not use you as fuel to keep it burning. He said, I will provide, oh, y'all don't get this. I will provide my own fire. He said, so always remember this. He said, up until this time, he said, you, when you pray for people, you're so rambunctious. Rambunctious. I think that's the word. Anyway, and, you know, and, you know, grabbing people and all this, and you're praying hard and everything. He said, Rick, he said, you think I'm using you as fuel to burn my fire through you. He said, I am not using anything of yours to burn. All I want you to be is a bush. You're a bush, a stupid bush. He didn't say stupid, but you're a bush. Just be a bush. Which means just give God an opportunity. Make a place for him. Step out in faith and believe he's going to do something. Be a bush. And when you do, he said, my fire will come. But my fire won't use your actions and all your great boisterous prayers. You know, at that time I thought authority meant you know, exerting great strength, you know. You got to push them over, you know. But the Lord took me into this last experience. And let me see this. Here was the experience. It was, it was a beautiful experience. I was in a church one day, and the, and the woman walks in the door. It's the middle of the day, and I was in there praying by myself. And this woman comes up to me. She says, do you believe in casting out demons? I said, well, you know, I've prayed for a lot of people to be healed of the sick, but at this point, at this point, I'd never prayed for a demon to be cast out. I wasn't particularly looking for it. Uh, and I said, so I've never done it. I said, but I know Jesus did, and I believe it's in the Bible. She said, well, I want to know if you'll cast the de a devil out of me. I said, what makes you think you have a demon? She started telling me her story. About two or three minutes into it, I said, stop, you, you, you got a demon, all right? <laughs> she was a man. You don't have one. You got a bunch of them. And so I said to her, now watch this. Listen, I said to her, I'm remembering this lesson. God says, look, it's, I'm not using. I mean, I wasn't thinking that yet. First of all, let me tell you this first part of the story. I, I stood her there and I said, okay. And I remember this. I was like, I was getting ready for a race or something. All I knew to do was to pray like all the preachers I had seen pray and cast people. Ah! You know, and so I remember I grabbed that woman by the head pretty aggressively. I was shaking her back and forth and I was shouting, come on! Come on! I tried that for a while and it didn't work, so I changed tactic. Go! Go! And then, please, please! I did that for an hour, hour, about an hour, until I was totally exhausted. I was ringing with sweat, and I looked at her, and she was ringing with sweat. We were both wore out, and I looked up at that point, totally wore out, and this demon started laughing at me, mocking me through this woman. Ha, 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 ha. Just like that. Ha, ha. It was the most humiliating thing I'd ever experienced. I thought, God, not only is the devil not out, he's mocking me. And so anyway, I just didn't know what to do. And I said to this woman, I said, excuse me, I need to go over here in the corner and pray for a little bit. I said, so would you just stay? Matter of fact, you and both of you, you and the demon, you guys just stay here. 
and I'm going to go over here and pray. And I went over here and I started crying to God. And I said, God, what is it, God? And the Lord spoke to me. He said, you don't have the lesson yet that I provide my own fire. All I need you to do is just be a bush. So he said, here's what I want you to do. And when I say this, don't, it, it's not the specific thing God told me to do that's the issue. It could have been one of the thousands. God wanted to teach me something. He said, Rick, I want you to go back over there and I want you to just walk around, start walking around and sing, Oh, the blood of Jesus, an old song, Oh, the blood of Jesus. And so I went back over there and I just walked and casually I just started singing, Oh, the blood of Jesus, Oh, the blood of Jesus, Oh, the blood of Jesus that washes white as snow. I did that several times and I, I heard that the demon wasn't laughing anymore. So I opened my eyes and I looked and here's what I saw. I thought, dude, oh, the blood of Jesus. I went for it then. Listen, I did that. The woman, she fell to the ground, was out for several minutes. When she woke up, she was completely delivered, had such purity in her eyes. It was incredible. That woman was a member of our church for about 25 years after that. A great lady. I learned this. The Lord says, see, it's not anything you do, but it's being sensitive to my voice sensitive to the fire that's burning on you and do what the fire says. And if you do, then you will be stepping back and letting the new Rick move with Christ in him. That has rocked my world. Let's give the Lord praise in this time. Stand to your feet. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Can we all just lift our hands and just thank God for his miracle working power in our own lives right now. Just receive that.